Hello, and welcome to the show Gold Squadron Gays. It's the podcast where two Star Wars-loving gays break down each episode of their favorite Star Wars TV shows, while also being gay as hell. I'm your host, Bradley Brower. I'm your other host, Charles Rogers, and today we are joined by... Aaron Llewellyn. Aaron is a long, long-time guest on the show. You were on, like, episode six or seven that we ever did. Of this show. Oh my god, I'm gonna have to like go actually look at it real quick while you guys are talking. Yeah, because I'm curious which episode you were on. I know it was Mandalorian. I just don't remember which it was. It was was. Mandalorian. It had to be one with Grief Karga in it. I think it was the second to last one of the first season. Hmm. Well, while Bradley's looking up which episode you were on, Erin, do you want to tell the people who you are? Who am I? Um, I am a recovering uh, history major. Uh, I've been since rehabilitated into the normal population. Uh, I work as a receptionist now, but uh, I used to be a history major, and that's that's why I'm here now. I think that's what I that's my understanding. Well, I also I genuinely enjoy the the pleasure of your company and the conversation. Oh, 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 we yeah, have. friend, friendship, friendship, friendship. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. Also, I am totally using you for your history degree right now. <laughs> I, I, I've never felt so much pressure since I wrote my thesis. Well, today we're going to be doing our retrospect. By the way, Bradley, before I, I segue, did you figure out what episode she's on? Yes. So you first appeared on season one, episode seven review, and then of The Mandalorian, and then you mm-hmm. also mm-hmm. were on. Um, it looks like season two episode three so if anybody wants to go back and listen to your classic episodes or you get like all kinds of shenanigans with us you know just go back and listen to those two episodes <laughs> bradley are you drive trying to drive traffic back to our older episodes because you know i fucking hate it when you do that you know if you guys want stuff from a year ago this is this is where <laughs> <laughs> and here's the thing. Here's the thing. My my degree was in American history, and I and and you know Mandalorian season one, season two, lots of drawing on just the Wild West in general. That's really like the stuff that I studied was was you know Western history and such. And today's episode is going to revolve mostly around the stuff that I study for fun. Okay, which is uh, and I, it's not I good knew. stuff. I have problems. <laughs> Well, I because I knew because uh, I'm I'm actually friends with you and mm-hmm. we're in a, a group chat with Jordan, who is the artist who does the the artwork for our TikToks, uh, and we will frequently annoy her by talking about uh, history for extended periods of time, and she'll just be sitting there like, Jordan. "Okay, guys, that's that's great. Jordan I now has... know more about Nicholas II than I ever wanted to." Jordan has put up with so much from me f- over the last decade. Last decade, yeah. It's always it's it's it's. I get in her car and I'm like, so uh, you want to hear about a weird cult? (laughs) (laughs) Now, are are we getting Nicholas II today? Does he come up? I mean, he's gonna come up by way of like his eventual death in a basement. I mean, we're talking about um, people who are trying to get everyone together to end an empire. That's that's the goal here is everyone involved can agree on one thing other than an antagonist, obviously. They can agree on one thing the current system has to end. And that's the one thing they can agree on, which was what was going on at the fall of Imperial Russia, and which is why I think it's a one of the best comparisons one can make. And so yeah, uh, spoiler alert, Emperor dies at the end. Wow, spoilers for a movie that came out in... <laughs> 1983. Oh, also, oh, real uh, history. Spoilers uh, for the 
<laughs> fucking uh Russian Revolution. Russian Revolution. The spoilers for the Romanovs. Um uh just, yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, well before before we get into that, what we're gonna do because I've been trying to get Aaron on the show literally the entire time for Andor. Because I'll watch an episode and be like, oh, there's some fun history stuff that I'm not gonna talk about in our episode that I want to get Aaron to talk about. Let me get her on this one. Oh, but the next one also has some fun history stuff. And about halfway through, I was like, we're just gonna get Aaron on the retrospect. So we're gonna split this episode in half. The first half of it, the the three of us are gonna talk about our overall impressions of the series. And then uh, we're going to pivot to ad. And when we get back from the ad break, Aaron is going to teach us about some of the history of Andor season one. And Bradley, mm-hmm. you want to you wanna ease us into uh, talking about the show overall, which I binged over the course of the last two days. See, that's very brave of you because I would have been, probably been too depressed to watch the whole thing as a whole this weekend. But I uh... like pain and I'm already <laughs> depressed all of the time. Okay, here's the thing. About oh, a few weeks back, I was like, I, I they're getting close to the end of Andor. I don't know if they want to have me on. And I wasn't keeping up with it because it was getting me depressed. <laughs> and so in the last week, I caught up from episode seven forward in a week. And uh, I'm feeling some kind of way. <laughs> Imagine I'm feeling some kind of way. No, because I remember when... Uh, when I'm so particular... glad I didn't. <laughs> I'm so glad that I didn't. I would have lost the track of so much. The per- the prison arc in particular, the Narkina 5 arc. Oh, I remember because I was talking to people and it was really depressing. Yeah. people would come out of those episodes and be like, man, that was a really good episode, but I'm just upset now. Yeah. Especially the end of episode, uh, what is this? The second to last episode, the one where they find out nobody's getting out. And it's just like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, nobody's listening. Nobody's listening. Okay. Bradley, you wanna you wanna you wanna take us into asking us about Andor, or do you even just want to start with some thoughts on Andor? I don't know how you want to run this segment. I'm leaving this one up to you. Yeah, I mean, well, I guess so. If you haven't already guessed by now, we're talking about season one of Andor that just completed, uh, and we're gonna be just kind of, I guess we'll just kind of go through it, you know, kind of arc by arc, because this show had a kind of funny format that most of the other shows don't really follow, you know, with Mandalorian, it's kind of a, I don't like using Monster of the Week with Mandalorian, because there's no actual monster it's episodic. Of the week, but it's episodic. it's episodic. Right. Yeah. And then Kenobi was kind of more just like a six part to one giant episode essentially um and then you know book of boba was kind of like the book end of mandalorian season two it wasn't really like its own show we'll probably i don't know what the book of boba fett was it was its own thing right (laughs) that was sorry good question what was the book of boba fett (laughs) the book of boba fett was a choice all all that to say uh this show kind of had a fun format to where they decided to do arcs kind of like clone wars uh very reminiscent of that to where there were chunks of episodes that kind of all went together and then they connected to the overall arcing story overall but they kind of focused heavily on either one location or kind of more one storyline at a time i guess we can kind of just talk about the first arc which we'll just we'll just call the pilot arc because it's just kind of introducing all the characters and kind of putting our main character of Cassian, you know, on his path to rebellion. The, uh, it's really the mini series that kind of launches the show. It really did feel like a little mini series or like 
an extended yeah. pilot of some kind. Like, I don't know. It was really cool. It was like a mini movie, honestly. Well, because I remember yeah. we were supposed to get uh, episodes one and two, and then they pushed it back two weeks and they dropped all three. And we were like, why are they dropping all three of these episodes? This doesn't make sense. And then we watched them and it was like, oh, these aren't so much episodes of TV as it is. Somebody's just chopped an hour and a half movie up right. into three parts. And I get the feeling that the, the writers were, I, I probably should have looked up more about the writing process, but you really get the feeling that the writers were like, oh, oh, there's so much here. We we need to, how do we get this across? The, how, do, how do you we deliver that? Like, th- this is a, a show that is, like, the presentation, a lot of it is, how do you deliver this in a way that people will watch it and it will make sense and you can really curate the process of how someone watches it so that you can get across the story you want to all at once? This was an interestingly delivered show. Yeah, and talking about the, the interesting delivery of it, too, like, we sort of knew it was going to be arcs. It did kind of like jerk off. That is a very poor two words. To oh. <laughs> Just try that it again. What, where are you going with this, track. buddy? I know we're an sure X-rated show, Charles, but I mean, come on. I did not sign on for this. Not with Aaron here. Good Lord. No. I am more respectful of my friends than that. Uh, it kind of jumped off the rails a little bit by episode seven, kind of throwing things off track. So I know we all sort of expected it to be three, 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 because we also know season two is going to be three, 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 three. Whereas this one, but when I went back, because I binged it all, over the course of the last day and a half, like I mentioned. And one thing about it uh, was that watching it on the binge, it's the back half of it flows so well, one after another. Like it almost doesn't feel like the Narkina 5 arc is a separate arc, but a smaller part of this broad six episode arc because Mm. of the way all the scenes kind of flow into each other, particularly like, you know, Cassian getting arrested at the end of episode seven and then going to the prison and gets out of prison. And they, the uh, episode 11 is like right after their escape. It all just flows together really, really well on the binge. Like I've, I've said before that this show feels like it was written to be binged rather than written to watch week to week. And when I binged that was like a hundred percent. Yes. This is exactly what I meant. Absolutely. And I know that a lot of the writers are from like, House of Cards, right? Bo Willimon, uh, the the guy who created the yeah. American House of Cards, uh, and wrote the Narkina Five arc. That that was, that's a show that's also meant to be binged. Like you don't, at least when I was trying to watch House of Cards and eventually gave up, I I, I would have found it deeply confusing had it aired week to week. Yeah, because it was kind of one of the first ones to pioneer that that streaming model where you would yeah. drop. It was that one in Orange Is the New Black that really yes. like pioneered the idea of let's drop all the episodes from the season at once yep right and uh that's been a thing that we've just had Mm -hmm. to deal with could you see them doing that in the future like with star wars do you think that they just love the whole let's keep people talking about it i think they love the let's keep people talking about it too much Mm -hmm. uh i think that and i've had this argument with with chris from dark side divas before is that you know the reason they don't drop it all who's still talking about tales of the jedi Exactly. Who's still talking about Tales of the Jedi? That had one drop. We talked about it for about two weeks and that's just disappeared. 
And that's why they don't do it because they can. And that's why we're going to bring it back for all of you. We are going to bring it back so I can bitch about Tales of the Jedi. Right. Merry Christmas. (laughs) Bradley, what did did you think overall the first arc in in the context of of the whole show? And and then we'll kind of move on. Yeah. um, So I think with the first arc, I love that. I I feel like they introduced everybody perfectly. Um, You know, we kind of, well, I mean, the show did what it was supposed to do, right? It was supposed to give it because this is such a giant cast characters and you know the past couple shows haven't had such a large cast they've usually focused on one or two kind of main people and then kind of stayed on those and there's a few supporting people in the background this show is like no 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 all these background people i put that in air quotes are very (laughs) important and they're not background people because they are barely they're barely supporting characters because they almost are just as important as cassian is in the broader scope of the show um and so that's why i like what they did they were like hey here's bix here's marva you know here's um, all these different characters and they were like they're very important you need to know who they are and by the end of the third episode we know who everybody in the show is minus like our I'll call um, our one cameo we'll call him um, um, well it's by the I'd say by the end of episode four we know who who all the important people are because that's the episode we meet Mon, Clea, Edie, Deidre. oh that's right wait they're not in the you're right they're no, not in the they're first not in the first three and that's oh that's so weird that's also the point where Andor leaves the planet, right? Yeah, leaves Ferrix. And the story mm. becomes bigger than the planet. It's more than just Ferrix. I hadn't even I hadn't even realized. That's why they <laughs> waited to introduce Mon Mothma until episode right. four. Because it wouldn't have made sense to introduce her early on because she's not in the zeitgeist yet. Like, it doesn't make sense to have her there. Yeah, okay. Well, um, um, speaking of Aldani, what do, what do we think of, uh, in the grand context, what do we think of, of the Aldani art? the the second batch of three episodes man oh boy (laughs) boy oh boy Bradley what about Uh, what about you why don't while Aaron thinks about this why don't you tell us what you thought about uh, Aldani and the broader context um I really liked Aldani because they kind of did a separate thing with the Aldani episodes right like they the first arc was like hey here's most of the characters right these are the important people the good the players of the show then they were like okay let's do something right let's let's have like some kind of conflict some kind of thing that we need Cassian to do and that was the heist right so they built up this heist through the first for the next three episodes and I was like okay that's great because that'll eventually lead into repercussions of the heist which is the following you know three Mm -hmm. um so it's I don't know they did it I think it's weird to break it down in structure because you're just like it's so weird to think of it so blatantly as like introduction of characters art Cassian needs to do something art Cassian needs to pay for something art Cassian changes his character arc like there's so many like I love the way that they do Cassian discovers the prison industrial labor complex (laughs) right it's very important to his character every arc of this this one season could be a whole different show it could just be a show on its own or a movie on its own well that's a good point because if you think about it the show takes place five years before um rogue one right so or the battle of yavin um and so it's weird because 
you theoretically you could do this show as each year is a season and they so could have I'm done gonna five blow seasons. your fucking mind here bradley that was the original plan that's, really that's not even a speculation i could just flatly tell you so what happened is they originally were going to do five seasons for the show they were going to do one season per year because they were kind of talking about how andor you know they have five seasons planned etc cetera, etc cetera. they shot the first season and tony gilroy basically was like one we don't want to spend the next 12 years of our lives making this show two this show is really hard to make not just for us above the line but for all of the people who are involved so we're gonna like basically the the second season's gonna cover the next four years so each three episode block of season two is going to be another year closer Hmm. so it's almost kind of forming a trilogy with season one is the first installment season two is the middle installment leading up to rogue one which is the finale i don't know if i like that we'll have to see it we'll have to see how it plays out in practice i'm grappling with it myself because i'm curious how they're going to pay off all these things that they've set up in the first season right i feel like only 12 episodes for me three seasons is a magic number right like that kind of seems to be the new model of shows is three seasons because it's not too long and it's not too short right Right. It's great. We it's a nice round number. A number I like three. it. It's it's organic. It's like, it's not like perfectly symmetrical. It feels balanced. Right. And yeah. it's right when you need to get out of the story, because, yeah. you know, if we look at the past, like Shrek the third, he's got kids, you know, <laughs> and then like, you're, you're just you're, getting you're out really when you need to. You really defaulted so, like... immediately to Shrek. You immediately went to Shrek. Oh my, oh my God. God. Please join us next week on our episode of <laughs> Shrek Podcast. Uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, Dance with layers. <laughs> Uh, Aaron, what did you uh, what did you you think of the Aldani arc in the broader context? Because you were still watching week to week during the Aldani arc, I think. I was watching week to week, and at that time, I was really seeing this going more of like a just like a a heist movie type of way. Like I, I wasn't expecting the prison system to come into it the way it did. I sort of uh, thought that the way it was going, like okay, he's going to get recruited into the rebellion by being the the guy who can can do all this sneaky behind the scenes like you know do some do some stealing do some robbing make some money for the rebellion yada yada but no he's he's not con- convinced yet and and it's and it's a tenuous relationship what they have going on there and i and i love a heist movie i love a heist movie <sighs> they're so good i love it i love to see a bunch of people working together as a team and getting something done and successfully robbing a casino for example (laughs) i was just about to say oceans it's oceans of star wars oh my god oceans ocean seven a star wars story yeah yeah oh god it's it's luthan seven yeah yeah there's outfits people dress up people play roles there's there's a there's faints you've got a guy on the inside it's all good it's it's all good stuff i love that stuff it's so fun to watch as i was watching i i i very quickly realized of course by the time like the eye of watching the eye that's when i was very much like okay this isn't a fun heist movie okay nope this isn't oceans 11 okay that's fine too (laughs) that's fine too and then i think at that point you linked me to uh an interview with the showrunner saying oh yeah this was directly inspired by uh a bank heist by Joseph Stalin, you know, when he was a young man, still raising money for the Hey, we're at 25 minutes for all recording and Joseph Stalin is showing up. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yep, yep, Jaystall. Jaystall is here. Whoop, whoop, whoop. I hate it. I hate <laughs> you. Anyway, I sorry. Uh, continue your, continue your, yeah, I remember actually linking you that article where you talked about it was yep. based on the and early it, bank robbing that, that Joseph all, Stalin did. Uh, well, as far as I know, uh, I, I know about the one bank, but yeah, there was more than one bank. Um, listen, I started reading Young Stalin by Simon Montefiore and I did not finish. I don't have that much time in my day, but boy, oh boy, a lot going on there. Because here's the thing, you kind of need money to do a rebellion. They need money. It's important and, stuff. And Mon Mothma can't just pay for everything. She can't just pay for everything. bank account. No, apparently bank accounts on Chandrilla aren't completely unlimited. Um, They don't have bottomless bottom. Bottomless bottoms. I, I don't like. <laughs> Listen, I, I look, Bradley. It's the title of your new memoir. <laughs> yeah. Bottomless bottoms. Bottomless on bottoms. Sunday. I'm, I'd like to apologize. <laughs> uh, you should. You should in no way feel like you need to apologize for that. Mostly the Aldani arc. The Aldani arc was when I started just going full galaxy brain on. Oh, this is referencing so many things that have happened in all of human history. Let's start. Ooh, the Highland clearances, obviously. And uh, empires. Fuck empires. Because we were having that chat like as far back as then. Because I remember looking and I was like, these are some deliberate choices that are being made in the the costuming. And we'll get we'll get to the history part of it uh, a little bit later on. But this was a point where it really became clear that like, oh, no, they're they're doing some like they're they're making some points here. They have some points to, to make. Yeah, I like I binge watched it. I when I binge watched it back because I watched the first three episodes last night and then I got up this morning and I just started without Donnie and I've been watching all day, uh, which I've just confessed to on air instead of making the TikTok that I was supposed to be making today. I see that look you're giving me, Bradley. Um, damn it, Charles. I know, right? I, I, I can't even keep up with the basic <laughs> podcast obligations that I have to do. Uh, no, I, I watched it back and it really does play out like a like an Oceans movie. If you watch all three episodes in a row, like it really plays out with a lot of those same beats. And I remember we talked about uh, Bradley when it when it first aired, when we were going week to week and we were we were like surprised by episode two, how they don't do any it really anything to actually perform the heist in episode two. Two is just moving into position. But if you watch all three together, it flows absolutely perfectly one mm-hmm. into each other. And there's this great sense of binge watching it all together of just how much of a one thing to another it is. With Cassian, like he gets into the fight on Morlana 1 and then basically everything continues to spiral out of control for him for the next 12 episodes. And Aldani, really fun to watch all of that together, uh, especially after having watched it week to week and already being able to pick up on, you know, smaller details and things that we already knew from watching it. So that was interesting. And then it moved us into uh, into announcement did you yep, want to take just, announcement by itself, Bradley? I was going to say, they just decided to change the format completely and just say, you know what? Here's a standalone Coruscant episode, basically. They, <laughs> they went on spring break. <laughs> <laughs> they went to, play, oh they went to Space Florida. No. Like no a, yeah, right? Now, is it is it Space Miami or Space Panama City Beach? Because uh, everyone has mm, called it Space Miami. Uh, I want to say Space Miami. But I've been calling it Space Panama City Beach. As I was watching it, I, I said like out loud, oh, we doing a Miami Vice type 
thing or yeah is this this is miami right uh and my cultural touchstone on this side of the where i live would be california because i've I've never been to the east coast i was gonna say more it's more like space panhandle (laughs) yeah yeah just wherever there's a seediness there there's a seediness there's a there's a i just don't yeah i i worked in santa monica for a year and i was a block away from a park that that you could look out over the beach Mm -hmm. um i'm so mad that contract ended i fucking loved working on the beach it was the Mm. best um but there yeah there's a certain seediness that i wouldn't say uh even the the santa monica pier had florida man energy truly cassian andor canonical florida man (laughs) oh no oh no no i i thought it was an interesting choice to like but again, you watch it in like one after another and it just leads into Narkina 5 so well. Like right. it's this transitionary episode into Narkina 5 that ends up paying off too, what with Cassian having come back and all of that uh, and talking to Bix and all that ends up becoming important. It's not just random. And like, it's super fucking heartbreaking to watch because like you find out that's the last time you ever saw or spoke to his mom. Yeah. Yeah. Ow. And then As got- I was watching it, I was just like, oh, okay, this is going to be, I'm, hmm, I have a bad feeling about this. And hey, my- she said the thing. I said the thing and the thing. Uh, it turned out to be right. Uh, God, that everything about that scene together with them, the, yeah, you're, you're going to worry, but that's just love. I'm going to worry, but that's just love that, that, that one, like, okay. I, I, that was when I started tearing up. I'm like, okay, fucking writers, they're getting me, they're getting me. Uh, I was going to ask who, who wrote that episode? Which one? Seven? Uh, episode mm-hmm. seven. Uh, mm-hmm. Stephen Schiff. Fuck you, Stephen Schiff. For your good writing. Right. Dare you hurt me in this way. Yeah, because that what did you what did you think of announcement, Bradley? I'll I'll ask this before we we jump into uh Narkina five. Well, it actually I'm re I'm like I have all the episodes up, right? Because I'm looking at the different titles and who writes them and which ones they aired, but I'm looking at like the summary of each episode and I'm like, huh, it's weird. They set up so much stuff in this episode for the finale. So like they set up a bunch of stuff for the finale and then we take a break and do the prison arc. So it's really yeah. interesting how they did that because I'm as I'm reading it, I'm like, oh. They introduce like take home. They introduce you know the banking stuff. They introduce like all this stuff. Like it's really interesting. But what what you you say about how the way it all calls back to each other along the way. The, our final episode, we we see a a literal like band coming together and putting together all these musical uh, light motifs together, and it all flows together in the exact same way. It is like watching an orchestral performance. Uh, all all these separate parts that come together to create a whole that is it, it, it's a it's a in, intricately woven tapestry and it's it just it reminds me of of how you would craft a huge musical piece like it all has to be taken into consideration together and in a musical piece like that made for an orchestra you do not have extraneous parts there's you you cut the fat it's all meant to be there put a pen in uh put a pen in in uh, the idea of of this being one giant orchestral piece, because I want to come back to that. Uh, there's a specific musical lay motif, so so we're gonna put yeah. a pen in that, mm-hmm. and uh, we're gonna take a little little side trip, a little side vacation trip to prison, to prison uh, where <laughs> where all of us almost certainly belong. Uh, Bradley for your Funko Pops, uh, me for uh, just 
anything that I say online at all and in this podcast. And uh, I don't know, Aaron is a history major. So that that deserves prison. Yep. Yeah, we shouldn't be allowed. We're We're the worst people at parties. Uh, As when I say like a recovering history major, the worst thing about studying history was the other people you study history with. Seriously. (laughs) I double majored in psych. Those people were fine. I believe this. Uh, but yeah, we're gonna we're gonna hop over to Narkina Five. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Uh, to uh, Electro Death Prison. I could just see Bradley inhale and exhale like he's practicing his calming <laughs> every time I speak. Just in out, in out. I will say my words of affirmations. I am Bradley. a strong, powerful podcaster <laughs> who can enjoy okay. anything that my co-host says on the air. You, you. I, I need to know what meditation app. Bradley has. I, I need, that I brings need us to our first ad, which is Calm, the app there. I'm just kidding. Actually, if that's a real app, please pay us. I, I don't know. Uh, that, that calm is, is a real app. That is. is, is Crap, stop saying Calm. Stop saying it. Otherwise, right. they're giving them free if, advertising. If, if there are any meditation apps out there that want to sponsor us there you go. and pay us money, they can be reached at. You can find us at goldsquadrongaze at gmail.com or on our socials, Twitter at goldsquadgaze or Instagram and TikTok at goldsquadrongaze. Because mm-hmm. here's the Quick. thing, you know who could really use some uh, uh, mental health care? Our, Everyone in the show. Everyone <laughs> in the show. <laughs> they have so much trauma. But especially Kino Loy. I have some thoughts about that. I so can let's... tell you've been ready to go for a minute. What are your thoughts, right. Bradley, on Narkina 5 and the grand context? So what's funny about this arc in Andor is this is the kind of stuff that I've, I'm sure there's plenty of shows out there that you come up with this, but sometimes shows like to do this where they do a random season. It's usually probably season three or four where they have their character do something completely by themselves for the whole entire season. And this is what this arc felt like almost. It's like, it's Andor goes to prison. Like, and that's the whole season. Like they could have done a whole season where he was in prison. And that's what's so funny. Cause this feels like if this was a five season show, this is the third season. Like they threw him in prison for a whole entire season. And then it's his exploits in prison and, you know, meeting all the random people that he's going to eventually need later on in the rebellion when he gets out of prison. <laughs> the gang goes yeah. prison. Cue It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia opening music. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't no, because I... it's uh, copyrighted, but yes. <laughs> yeah, we, 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 we can't throw that. We have to be very careful about what we use mm-hmm. in the context of the show. Mm-hmm. No, I thought it. Mm-hmm. That's this it. is parody. This is not this is real. Parody, <laughs> I'm off key. I'm off key. I'm off key. It's you, fine. You got to change. I think it's, it's you mm-hmm. can have seven notes identical. Uh, and then the eighth note has to be different because there's a musical motif in Wicked that's somewhere over the, identical to somewhere over the rainbow, except they've changed the eighth note to avoid <laughs> copyright from oh MGM. Oh, it's like so that's how vanilla ice. It's the unlimited. It. My future is unlimited. That that section of uh Wizard and I. Uh I've been gay for a long time by the way. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, You're older God. than me, so that has to be true. No, I I thought it was certainly when we're talking about radicalization and and that's what the show is about is the radicalization of Cassian Andor uh mm-hmm. from somebody who's just rebelling for the sake of rebelling to somebody who's rebelling for a cause 
there's certainly like no no real better way to demonstrate the absolute atrocities of the empire than to look at how they treat their prisoners. And I thought that it, looking at this arc in the broader context of all all of the arcs together, this is the darkest moment. And this is the moment that pushes Cassian to become a rebel for something greater than himself. We see that they're already working on a plan to get out kind of by himself, but the plan is only successful when everyone is involved in it and they have a leader in Kino Loy. And I think yeah. these are important lessons for Cassian to learn over the course of, of the season. Although it is a fucking brutal stretch of episodes to watch. The way that that wraps up, the way that that ends is so, is Kino's speech over the the PA to the prisoners, there's, it, there's no way it would have, well, it probably could have worked but Cassian is definitely someone who finds himself in the company of some pretty great leaders. And Kino's speech specifically where he says, you're going to have to help each other. And you see like the prisoners like almost run into each other in the hallways with, with weapons and like stop realizing they're looking at a fellow prisoner. They stop, they realize, and they move forward. And it was that moment that made me realize this whole time when they've been separating the prisoners, but putting them together in teams and squads and working against each other, they're still putting them together in squads, the same squad every day. And how? what do you expect to happen if you put men together like that or people together like that? That is exactly what a military does. You have trained a whole group of people to work together as separate parts of a unit that communicate effectively. And you have created an army, you idiots. You absolute I mean, goddamn idiots. One yeah. of the things, too, that I think it's Nimic says... Uh, it's either Nimic or Luthen. I think it's Nimic is like it's pockets Nimic, of rebellion yeah. all over the galaxy, whole battalions that don't even know they've signed up for the cause because they're yeah. disconnected from each other. And looking at this in parallel with like Star Wars Rebels or the Ahsoka novel, where some of the whole over overarching themes of the rebellion in this era are there's pockets of rebellion all over the galaxy. Once they learn to communicate and support each other, <laughs> then they can achieve the impossible of taking down the empire which is also why somebody yeah. like Saw Gerrera won't do it because he's so paranoid that he can't work with other people and I say this broadly as as the character in this particular time frame is he won't work with other people he's hostile to anyone that doesn't share his exact beliefs and that's why he won't be as successful as someone like Mon Mothma will eventually will yeah I mean compromising it's weak sauce a lot of the time but sometimes you don't get things done without it and god it's it's his his breakdown of like what does he say i am the only one like pure of purpose or pure of mind i am the only one with clarity of purpose yes just, how many conversations uh with pro if if you talk to you know your uh, fellow progressives and try to agree on one thing I'm not I'm not saying that there is a an active like you know political party out there that has this problem where they can't all agree on how to best do the the thing that is not fascism right now but they can agree meh, probably not fascism but they can't agree on exactly how to do it and thus nothing gets done. I feel like we will see this in uh in Russia perhaps later on in the episode. I don't know if you're going to get that far. Aaron's just eyes went wide because she knew exactly who I was talking about. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, yeah, yeah. We're totally talking about something that happened in the past and does not happen uh, 
has not happened since. It's been a, like about a hundred years, uh, almost yeah, a hundred years nearly exactly. And it's this, never happened since. Certainly not in the nation in which I live in. And we're all good. It's all good. Let me just let me just log on to Twitter real fast and check. Don't, I, I feel I everything is fine on Twitter. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that if I were you. Bradley Bradley only goes on his Twitter to occasionally retweet Funko Pop giveaways, and I feel like Bradley is the only person doing Twitter right. Ah, I think I am no longer doing that because I deleted my account. So oh, really? Damn. Yeah, you know, why Why stay on the burning ship? Like, just, you know, the water looks really nice. So I'm just going <laughs> to go for a swim while you guys continue to burn on the Twitter. You know it's what I mean? Really, it's really funny on the burning ship. I will say that. So I it's figured it's really eh, hilarious on the burning ship. Right. So you can no longer tag me in random tweets about the show because I, you can write my name, but I won't be on there anymore because I deleted ghost. the actual account. I did. I deleted it officially. So it's you've gone. Unexisted yourself. You've, you've deleted yourself from the record. But Bradley, right. if you don't have Twitter, do you really exist? <laughs> I mean, if, you know, if a Facebook falls in the middle of the woods and no one's around to see your profile, does it make a sound? I don't know, whatever that, that is, that's a bad that analogy. That is important but... a philosophical question. <laughs> but I've been slowly deleting my Facebook too, because honestly, yeah. I'm kind of over it. Like, it's like, if you ask like my Gen Z sister, like, hey, like, can you go on Facebook? And da-da? she's like, what are you talking about? Like, Facebook doesn't exist to the, this generation. So they don't I have it. I use Messenger still to talk to people. Yeah. Uh, some people just, I only have them on Messenger. Uh, but I post on Facebook like once every three months at this point. I look at Facebook to, um, you know, communicate with the, my family on the other side of the country to let them know that, yep, our pocket over here is still alive. And that's it. Speaking of dystopian nightmare hellscapes um, mm-hmm. and family in questionable states of aliveness, uh, mm-hmm. the final two episodes uh what did we think of the the finale in in the greater context Aaron I'll I'll kick the ball to you to start uh I was never very good at sports or kicking things uh, or catching things um uh as evidence of us. this reaction yep <laughs> none of us were Bradley did you didn't even play sports I don't think uh I just swam I did like swim team stuff that I didn't tracks. do any of like you know I didn't do contact Catching. sports <laughs> I did marching band same. Not a, uh, not a sport. I turned out fine. Okay. I turned out normal. <laughs> uh, I allegedly did. Aaron, what did you what did you think of of the way the season ended? Then we'll we'll bring it around to the end. Uh, it just made me feel like that this couldn't have gone any differently. This is this is exactly this tracks like all of this. Like you, I feel like I saw it happening in many ways. Like of course they're going to return to Ferrix. Of course it's going to end like this. Of course, uh, they're going to design a trap. But in the design of that trap, I wasn't expecting it to so completely eviscerate like I wasn't expecting the arc to so completely eviscerate Cassian's like connection to everything that is not the rebellion that it really he really is left with no other choice and like he he, he loses his family he loses his the connections that he had on Ferrix and leaves his home in in you know ruin once again but in this particular time everybody else is uh time has passed he has changed and so has Ferrix. The tension has ramped up, whereas it, it, it is fascinating to see just the pro- process of radicalization happen 
in real time on a society. Like this is a community, it's happening to a community and we see it uh, across all these different characters and all these different people. And the way that individuals, people seem to have like unplanned, like decided upon how, okay, uh, fuck the police, fuck the empire, I'm doing this because of the thousands of cuts each of them have all received. It all hits a tipping point. It's the tearing down, you know, I didn't even realize this until I watched it today, but Marva, you know, towers over the group like a ghost or like a statue or like a monument. And it's it's a monument to defiance. It's a monument to rebellion and Farrakh's independence. And we saw as far back as the flashbacks with Clem that that's very important to the people of Farrakh's. And so when Tigo knocks over uh, B2EMO, you know, in addition to making himself one of the most hated Star Wars characters of all time, what he's doing is, is literally trying to topple the monument to Farrakh's independence and resistance against outsiders. And in doing so, sets off the powder keg that is the people of Farrakh's. Uh, and then uh, a fascist gets clocked with a brick. Hell yeah. <laughs> and we good support that. Shit. Good uh, shit. Brasso is the only good man. Correct. Mm-hmm. Bradley, what about you? What about, what did you, you think of, of uh, the finale in the broader context? Um, like, I, like, like you kind of uh, said, like they do the flashback in episode seven of, um, of, uh, of Clem. I was going to say Cassian's father, um, of Clem and, you know, how his kind of dealing with the, well, well, they're not the empire at the time, but it's the the clones. They are the empire at the time, but yes, the authorities. authorities. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's just shows us like this transition period from that point. Like we have the, the one arc to kind of break it up, but we don't realize that all this stuff is happening to the people during that time while Cassian's gone and that it's just building and building and building. And when we see characters like Wilman Pack, you know, like a, a kid, you know, yes. building a bomb and like, that's how far this has gone to the point of like, the people are fed up, right? Even just someone as innocent as, you know, a child being a child, like, yeah. who has lost everything. Because as far as we know, he has lost pretty much everything. He's lost his father. He's lost, you know, his way of and life, when essentially. You, when you bend, you really get to watch that all get taken away from him. Because and... he's in the background of most episodes. And and the scene where he like, they, they take his father away and he's like screaming at the troopers is horrifying to watch like in the context of oh this is gonna mess this kid up but it's like i said on our our episode 12 uh review our analysis uh, i was really glad he made it out i thought Mm -hmm. it would have been easier to have him perform this narrative function and then get thrown to the wolves and the writers chose not to do that which i'm so glad he didn't die and as i i read as I was watching the intercut of that with the flashbacks to Andor's dad, uh, to, to Clem being lynched, essentially. The Empire did to this kid the same thing they did to Andor. They, they took his father away at this precipitous age when you're becoming an adult. And now your entire future is defined by the authorities have taken away something that is so precious and dear to you. And it was so very little to them. And they they made it, they did it in such a horrible way. There's a reason why teenagers tend to rebel and why rebellions tend to be run by teenagers or started by teenagers. But before we move on, move into the next section, I, I want to ask both of you and then I'll do my own. Uh, and I'll start with Bradley. Uh, final thoughts on the season. Final thoughts. I think it was a great start. <laughs> Um, I'm actually looking at the critical reception of the episodes, kind of just like 
by critics based on like Rotten Tomatoes and stuff and looking at like the different sections and the show is kind of broken up of like episode one to four is kind of like in the same realm of positive review in like the 90s and then you have five through ten is like this solid block that people just seem to absolutely love sitting at a hundred and then it dips a tiny bit at 11 and then it goes back up to 100 at 12. So it shows you how the show like really like it it introduces everything, grabs your attention really quickly and then is just like, wait, here's just wait a second. Wait one second. Okay, here's the finale. Like and then it does such a good job of that. And I really, really appreciate this show. It's definitely done stuff that Star Wars has yet to do. It's, you know, it's it's, it's really mature. The, po- the politics is great. I think it's the best Star Wars show yet it just in terms of matureness and like it's a different funness to it especially since it doesn't have anything to do with skywalkers and you know palpatines which is a nice kind of break from the original Thank formula you. of most of these other shows he's in it um, but not physically right but it doesn't have any the story doesn't necessarily have to do with him which is nice he he's a he's a piece of the puzzle but he's not a major component of the you know of the wheel and so i really like that and I'm looking forward to K2SO. Bring on the robot. Aaron, what about what about you? Uh, any final thoughts you have on this season? Boy, oh boy, I'm exhausted. And so must be Cassie and Andor. Just such a really good lead up to the next steps. As a Star Wars piece of media, this is the this feels the most accurate to how humans operate in groups and societies. And how things go in real life when the same thing happens in real life that I think I've seen on screen because so much of Star Wars, like, you know, it's a little bit for kids. We try to make it, you know, a little less terrifying for, you know, the kids. And this is very much like, we've taken the gloves off. This is how it tends to really go. And I just kind of feel like, damn, really love seeing something so well-crafted and real feeling in this universe. It makes me go like, yeah, you can do so much with this setting. You can do anything with this setting. You have you have a huge playground in which to work. I think that, that my final thoughts on the season are, you know, this is exactly the Star Wars I want. However, I, I hope that the lessons that Lucasfilm takes from the success of Andor are things like the writing should be good. Yes. You should not be afraid to move away from the political, overt political themes of the franchise. Um, you should have gay people in it. Yeah. These that's... are the sort of lessons I would I would like them to learn. I hope they don't think, you know, Star Wars necessarily needs to go darker because I think this is about as dark as it needs to go. Uh, yeah. I think that any, this is my personal opinion, any Star Wars that does it, that you can't at least show to an older child, it's it's not good Star Wars. Uh, if, mm-hmm. if you can't show it to like your 13, 14 year old at, at the very youngest, then I, I think it really really isn't Star Wars. Uh, so I really hope that they take the lessons of the good writing, the political messaging, the diversity of the cast, the care and love that the, the writers and the story team and everybody showed bringing their A-game for it. Because if they can, can keep pulling things out at this level, you know, both in terms of TV and, and the films, you know, we're looking at a really great age of Star Wars storytelling. Um, and I personally am really looking forward to season two. Uh, I'm looking forward to K2SO and the snarky robots. And I'm looking forward to finding out more about the planet killing super weapon from the stinger. Mm. Uh, but you know who, 
<laughs> you know who is is not building a planet killing super weapon, Aaron? Oh, I, I don't know, Charles. Who 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 possibly couldn't be? Oh well, I'm certain it's not the products and services that support this podcast. I am almost certain that Anchor is not building a planet killing death weapon. So for the second half of of this retrospective, we're going to switch gears a little bit. And we're going to go through the the, the various episode arcs. Uh, and Aaron's going to talk to us a little bit about some of the actual historical things that some of these arcs were based on. So, Aaron, you ready to do some history? I'm going to do my best here. History. I believe in you. It's big. It's boring. It's a lot of people doing a lot of dumb things in a row. That's all you need to know. It's just Speaking- that sometimes those dumb things... Speaking of people doing dumb things, which might be the uh, the entire premise of the first three episodes of the show, uh, you you want to talk to us about uh, not the Battle of Blair Mountain the Battle that of happens Blair Mountain. in the first three episodes. Well, so well let's, about that. let's go all the way. Let's go all the way back to the beginning. Yeah, how does this start? T- take us there. Well, let's let's start with the first couple of episodes. So, do you have anything on? Uh, on on Cassian and the Corpos, Molana One, Ferrix, um, any of that stuff for the first episode. Do you have anything on mining towns? I do have some thoughts on mining towns, but not sure how well people know about how, you know, in real human history, corporations ran whole chunks of the planet. Let's start there. Uh, so it... tell us about how bad capitalism is. Capitalism is bad. Um, the whole thing, uh, you might have heard in school that, say, America, the United States was settled by uh, individual settlers going out and, like, finding land and building homesteads and things like that. That is not necessarily the case. In most of these cases, they started off, the, it, it started out by mostly, you know, the British crown, sometimes the French crown, uh, sponsoring a corporation to go and eradicate the people living there or force them to work for them or force them to provide some kind of product or service and running a huge chunk of land. Uh, For example, Hudson's Bay Company used to run a big chunk of what is now Canada and some of the United States. Company rule in in, in India. Uh, That's that's another example. Uh, I think what's now Bengal was run by the East India Company for what, about 100 years before it was eventually turned over to the crown? It wasn't even a, col- a colony. It was just owned by a corporation who- that was sponsored by the crown. This if, is- you, if you watch uh, Pirates of the Caribbean 2 and 3, if I'm recalling correctly, mm-hmm. yep. these are the bad guys. They're the baddies. They're the baddies. Are, are the, either the East India Company or the, the Dutch East India Company. I think they're two different companies. They are two different companies. They are the representatives of... Well, the Dutch East India Company is Dutch, and the East India Company that we might be thinking of is is British. So a lot of European colonial powers, what they did in order to, you know, reduce their costs, uh, you put together a company, like, and what you do is you have it separate from, like, your government, so you don't have to personally pay for, like, your military to go and take over an area. And and anyway, this all started out as trade. This all started as, you know, normal free trade stuff all kosher stuff. You send a few guys out to meet with a few guys in another place and hopefully trade some things. We, we want some, some things from this other part of the world. And over and here's the thing about travel. It's very dangerous. So you, you want to bring some guys with you. And those guys should have guns. Those guys should have guns. Absolutely. And that works. Britain does a lot of this. 
so there was a Britain good. Britain uh, is the villains here. Britain is well, the colonialism is the villains here. Colonialism but... is Britain's just ha- they just happen to be really good at it. Is the thing. So, like you said, the Dutch East India Company, all of these European powers, they want to get in on the rest of the world once they've really perfected this technology of like moving around places because Europeans are only good at one thing, and that's trying to leave Europe. <laughs> I can't blame them. I can't blame them. The weather's terrible. The food's bad. Um, full offense to Europe. Um, <laughs> and and I will ask too, this notion of, of I'm a corporation. Mm-hmm. I want to maintain my property or my people or everything working and making money. So now I have to have some guys with guns. I gotta have some guys with guns. Yeah. So we see in the, the first three episodes of Andor, the relationship between Marlana One and the yeah. people of Ferrix, to where Ferrix is a sort of outlier that's technically yes. under the corporate authority. I have so and... many questions about the origins of Ferrix. I have so many questions about like, because they obviously have this, this culture that is that is older than I, what I would expect, because I kind of assumed for a while that Ferrix was like a settler society. It does not necessarily, if it, ha- if it is, it's old because they have traditions that are very unique to them and it is not something that the it's not something that the corporate authorities were really into but that that is true to to life uh you mentioned you asked about mining towns uh as the american west was settled and as coal became uh necessary for the industrial machine chunks of the united states are carved out and you know we start mining that's how you know as various you know european powers worked their way across the continent these continents here that we're on they also pivoted to oh silver's here silver's here let's force people to work here and in the united states these were not run by you know the crown because we don't have a crown these are by corporations these are uh run by corporate authorities because uh guy guy who owns a mine this is this is the gilded age we're looking at if you're if you're, you're vaguely remembering your american history and this is the same period of time where we start to see you know this is the this is the early 20th century yes late well, we're getting late there. 19th late 19th we're, we're early getting, 20th yeah. Okay. As industrialization, as soon as we need coal for steamships and for uh, trains. Okay, so uh, we, late 19. Yeah. And all across the planet, uh, places that are rapidly industrializing, inclu- including the United States, but also uh, in Britain, also in France, also in Russia, uh, even in just, just everywhere, you suddenly, the way that labor is done has changed and you're trying to build something that is so huge. Industry is so huge. So these companies come in and they they basically throughout history, through the entire history of colonialism, but particularly in the Gilded Age, the so late 19th, early 20th mm-hmm. century, yep, yep, when yep, they yep. more need these these labor towns essentially to fuel the machine of capitalism, particularly in the industrial revolution, these companies come in and they set up these places for the workers to live and the workers support them. And when there's issues, the companies have their own people with guns. And we also see that in Andor too, with the the corporate security. And as I have been referring to them, the space Pinkertons. The space Pinkertons. And the Pinkertons are an interesting example here because they're, they're not a branch of a corporation or anything like that they they're they're not part of a mining corporation for example they're not they're part a of detective lumber. agency they're a detective agency <laughs> and we and must speak of them in the present tense because they still exist they still exist they're 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 you might call them 
security guards, but what they really got their start as was mercenaries, they're mercs. And the first time I ever uh, learned about them, like, you know, on an academic level was uh, learning about like their involvement in aspects of the Civil War. And my history books did a very good job of painting over all of the uh, labor movements that they crushed, uh, including a like you mentioned the Battle of Blair Mountain, one of your past episodes, and it's a good example of how a labor uprising, like in this case, Blair Mountain, it's an area in West Virginia, uh, uh, before and after World War One, there's rising tensions over pay for miners and the horrible system in which they were all living in, where your town is run by a corporation, you shop from a company store, you live in a company house, everything is provided by the company. And if you do not do what the company wants, uh, if you are fired from your job, you have nothing. You have absolutely nothing. It's like they own your world. And that is what we see here with Ferrix. And a lot of those labor uprisings of which Blair Mountain is just one of many, they tend to start off by somebody kills a court like kills a mine boss or kills a, a guard one of them shows up dead and we're not sure how eh, but uh it seems to have happened and it really and these things are sometimes precipitated by things are getting slowly worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and people snap and break and somebody just turns around and okay i'm throwing a brick now because um, part of the issue in in episode three of andor that that they run into is cassian goes and does this thing yeah. and he kills these two corpos and he, he runs home and the corpos the guy who's in charge uh, chief hind has the correct opinion which is mm-hmm. well these two guys just went and got themselves killed uh but cyril wants to be a dumbass and show up with 13 guys 13 of the the space mall cops fucking to Ferrix. <laughs> fucking Cyril I, shows up. This this shitty little insult. <laughs> Cyril get simul- simultaneously you know obviously he's he's our uh skinny little inspector Javert but also god reminds me of so many guys I went to high school with. Dear god. Mm. Not in a good way. He's our shitty white boy. Uh, very shitty white boy. But he he kind of, you know, shows up with these cops and part of the the tension with the people of Ferrix, you know, Cassian and Luthen do most of the killing. Yeah. But Brasso does like murder a guy. And mm-hmm. they essentially, you know, it's from the way that the Ferrix people talk, they're not used to the Corpos coming in. They haven't, they mentioned that the, they haven't seen blues in a long time. They leave and us so alone. They leave us alone. And the fact that they're not leaving them alone has started the process of inflaming tension. And of course, then the Empire comes in and revokes the charter and is like, hey, uh, we're taking over now, uh, which does segue us into um, the Aldani arc uh, and Joseph Stalin. Okay, that's, that's a way of going about that. All right. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm just really excited to hear about Joseph Stalin. Uh, so yeah, the Aldani art. Y- you need money for a revolution. You got to start off with something, obviously. And I loved the character of Nemec. The character of Nemec is so valuable in this for encapsulating the theory behind the action that's happening on screen. Uh, because once they introduce Nemec and Skeen, because I, I am the the weirdo that I am, my interpretation of that, of because they kind of introduce them like together, like they're kind of seen together a lot of the time. And my interpretation of the two of them was, oh, these two men represent like the dual aspects of the revolutionaries who uh, in, in Russia, uh, both in the 19th century and the early 20th century, two different 
different generations aiming to do the same thing, kill the czar. Two different aspects of those kind of people. Uh, a lot of them were a bunch of criminals and a lot of them were a bunch of students. And sometimes they were they were both criminals and students. Stalin is one of those people. He was a uh, reportedly very, very, very good student and uh, had a, he went to seminary apparently and had a very bad time, read a, did a lot of reading of books he wasn't supposed to. Um, apparently a real great poet. And he was a gangster, essentially. In his chunk of Georgia, where he was at, the, to the clarify, organizing... To clarify, oh. real fast, when okay. we say Georgia in relation Georgia. to Joseph Stalin, the country. for our audience who may not be historians, when we say Georgia, we are referring to the country of Georgia, yeah. uh, yep. not the state of Georgia. Sorry, I, I needed to clarify that for Bradley and for our non-historian audience. And the fact that he was from Georgia is a big part of why he gets involved in a, a revolutionary movement against Russia, because Georgia at this time is kind of an invaded, uh, is a subject of Russia. When, when he is in school, they are stamping out the Georgian language. They are forcing students to speak in Russian, not in Georgian. That is a classic tactic of colonial powers. It, it's the exact same system. Them, and he really chafed against it. And part of that is the culture of the area. There were a lot of people in that area that felt very strongly about their Georgianness. I wish there was a better way to say that. Interesting that you should bring out up the uh, the stamping out of indigenous cultures, considering what else is happening in this episode. The Aldani arc was so painful in those moments too. I, I mean, uh, yeah, good writing, good writing. They're writing it this way for a reason to make it clear just how evil this is. What did you bring up? to me because I, I thought Scottish initially, but you brought up, I think, uh, you were right. So, somewhere in you South America right. as well. Here's the thing. You were right. I, uh, after watching the, when Aldani is introduced and we don't see any of the people there yet, we aren't familiar with the culture yet. And all we see is they're out in the mountains and they got ponchos and there's goats. And my first thought was, uh, barren mountainous looking landscape, Patagonia. Aldani, it's a, it's a far away from everything, but it's still close enough to everything that you can use it as a stopping point. That was interesting to harken back to, you know, just all sorts of places that have been colonized. And then they talk about like in depth in the episode, they talk about like the steps that they are taking to gradually phase this local festival out because they know that if they just immediately crack down and ban the local festival, yeah. that's going to cause outrage. But they very the methodically go through and they've whittled it down to such a tiny group of devotees that when they do outright ban it the next year, which is what they were planning to do before yeah. the, the robbery happens, There's that no they won't be complain. as... Yeah, they won't be as as upset about it. I want to come back to that robbery and specifically Joseph Stalin. Uh, the important thing to know is that it happened and it was true to character and that he was a, you know, he was a gangster for the, the Bolsheviks, essentially. He was Lenin's guy that, oh, if you want to, if you need a bad thing done and you want to get it done, you, you, get, you give it to this guy, which reminds me of some other character dynamics in Star Wars that I won't get into but because here's the thing about the the lead into the Russian revolution and the fall of Russia I see aspects of that conflict in both the actions of the rebels and in the actions of the empire as they rise as the the republic turns into the empire because of the nature of you know because the Bolsheviks are pretty bullshit they're you know as it as it went down in real human history terrible things because people are complicated that's one of the overarching like themes as far as 
and or in Rogue One is looking at the side of the rebellion that yeah. is not doing the nice heroic things that are mm-hmm. not like running around bringing back the Jedi and swinging the laser swords, but the people who yeah. are doing like the murder and the robbery the and the violence. I, I would like to finish on the fact that in real life, the people who, who, who won out in the conflict of which faction is going to rule Russia were the Bolsheviks. Bolshevik means majority. Their opposition, they, they were they were part of a couple factions of the Greater Social Democratic Party of Russia, which once the czar is overthrown, there's a provincial government in place. They're, they're picking and choosing, okay, how do we want to run, run a Russia? And the Social Democrats are up, up on you know up in the front like we're gonna do it we're we're the guys that are gonna inherit the show and you have two options you have the majority and the minority bolshevik and menshevik that's just what they translate to and the group that lost was the group that thought i think we should uh let people share what how they think that we want to run the country and share their ideas and we should pick and choose from what those people want and give everyone a voice maybe and go from there and the group that won were the group that said no absolutely not we we don't need to hear your opinions we need to preserve the the true uh political spirit of our enterprise by by having a select few at part of the party of, of Vanguard who are the only ones running the show and the only ones who will benefit. They were the ones who won. The uh, In theory, if you're a, a, a weak sauce uh, politician who doesn't, you know, take the progressive choice when it's offered to you and you you stay in the middle and the moderate and never push forward. You get a first order. Both of you. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. You get a first order. That's exactly, that's ultimately what happens is Mon Mothma winds up, she becomes the chancellor Mm -hmm. of the new Republic and she's, you know, a very popular chancellor and she does a good job of trying to put things back together, but she makes some choices like uh, not having that strong of central government and disbanding the rebel fleet and not enforcing uh, policies super well and not prosecuting uh, the former Imperials as hard as she should have. And so we wind up, you can already see in the bones of the yeah. show, Mon Mothma is going to be the one that wins out to be in charge. And we almost kind of see where that goes, uh, particularly when we get into seeing other people like Saw Gerrera mm-hmm. later in the series. Uh, but speaking of Saw Gerrera and the Narkina 5 arc, I do want to transition us away from some of the stuff in Aldani into let's do uh, let's do the announcement episode if you happen to have anything from that and then uh, talk a little about the Narkina 5 stuff. Uh, anything you saw that was reminiscent of things that it's okay to discuss. Because <laughs> um, I was having some conversations with people about historical labor camps. Ooh, and oh boy. boy. Oh boy. Oh boy. Oh boy. Yeah. Uh, I could jump immediately into historical labor camps, but the thing that really, that vaguely ties to this, that, va- that kind of tickled me was, I-, I don't know if you guys mentioned it in your episode on announcement, but the the scene where Cassian is like, you know, packing up his box of stuff in the shower and he's chatting with the girl who's in the next room and she's like like asking him to go to the store and get the stuff. I, I had to look up what the things they were mentioning were. One was, what was that? Was that Peebles? Pete. 
it's it's like some kind of it sounded like some kind of candy. I didn't look up what it was. I knew I looked up what it was. You looked up what it was. You're gonna tell me what a Star Wars thing is. I don't remember the name. I I I should have prepared for this, but I'm gonna tell you what it is because I looked it up and according to Wikipedia, when I looked at it, according to my my fallible human memory, it is legal amphetamine. Wow. What? That's what I I swear we we basically she sent him out for space amphetamines. Yeah, he sent him out for bennies. Okay. At least this is what I remember from wikipedia it could have changed i could it could have all been a dream i don't have it in front of me right now we'll have to but... call it spice so we don't get demonetized on other things in historical context uh, i'm gonna double check your work here yeah in historical context uh uh speaking of historical labor camps the uh nazi war machine would not have been possible without the assistance of some legal amphetamines at least that were legal in germany at the time. Yeah, no. Pizos were a form Pizos. of legal stimulants that came in the form of pills. Yep. I, huh. I thought I was just like, wait a minute, Pizos? And that we just like show she sent them out for uppers and booze. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's let let's talk a That's... little bit about about the prison labor complex because that's sort of the the heart of these episodes. Yeah. Do you have do you have anything on uh I know the the history of prison labor <laughs> is a lot. It is a lot. Um I'm going to try to consolidate my thoughts here because I mean obviously the gulag system which that's the soviet system uh under the but it, it was inherited. There was an existing system of prison labor camps that operated in Russia for the century prior to that. Uh, and the reason, one of the reasons why they end up with a revolution in the first place is because a bunch of young intellectuals get sent to prison starting in the 1850s and didn't have a good time and are faced to do hard labor because you guys mentioned uh, penal colonies, I think in your episode. Australia. And, Australia's and one. penal colonies that they would just like ship people off to because that's incidentally the other Georgia also the other Georgia the yes colonies. did you did you know this Bradley about about the state of Georgia being a labor camp <laughs> they used to ship convicts to the state of Georgia yeah. huh. to work it I know it explains a lot it didn't it last super long it didn't last super long to be honest um it turns out uh that eventually transformed more into the indentured servitude system. And I will not get into the reasons why Georgia decides to pivot to a different source of labor. That's a whole podcast in and of itself full of horrifying things. But yeah, uh, forced... The thing about Russia is that... And I I really... One of the reasons why I keep harkening back to Russia and not going straight to like, let's talk about the uh, Nazi uh, labor camps. Because... Russia, I feel like, is just a great comparison for the galactic empire in general because it's big. It's really big. It's like it's like the Texas of the world. It's just really fucking big. And well, we also we also see in Rogue One too the the stark differences between various types of labor camps. Yes, because yes. Nar- Narkina Five, the intention of Narkina Five is to build components for what we find out is the Death Star. Yeah. Uh, whereas the purpose of the Wobani labor camp in Rogue One is to kill the inmates. The point is to work the inmates to death. So there's also like historically different kinds of labor camps depending on what the governing body that had set them up wanted to do. Yeah, and the reason why there is a differentiation because you can use the word in in the when we talk about Nazi Germany and 
their specific choices, we use the word concentration camp. Um, and because it is, and the better term is death camp. Most of the time, what, what's happening there, they they want these people to die. This is their way of, of killing uh, whole populations. But historically, that hasn't always been the goal because labor is a resource to capital. And so other empires, the way that they've done it has tended to be, okay, we're going to ship you over here and you're going to do hard labor in uh, Siberia for five years. And that becomes a brewing ground for revolutionaries. You send a bunch of, you know, angry young men over to desolate farm in the middle of nowhere to to just do hard labor and do terrible things to them. It was absolutely terrible uh, in the Russian winter. Then boom, you're, you're just going to brew a revolution. And when you and the on the other hand you have just the machine of of death the machine it's of just death not happens. a fun time for anyone. i did not have a fun time watching those episodes uh it was um no one did the fact the fact that they they mentioned the episode like as he's being introduced to the prison like you might notice that this is a little different from some prisons you've been in and it's different from you know a prison as a detention center it's different from say a death camp it is they are trying to work towards a goal they are trying they want them healthy more or less they want them operating they want them to complete a task and the nazis also did do that um uh, for example i believe it's pronounced mittelwerk the uh, uh it was an underground facility that was used to produce the v2 ballistic missiles during world war ii uh that's where werner braun werner von werner von braun i think rocket uh, guy his uh, rocket guy rocket guy you know rocket nazi guy rocket uh, nazi yeah guy. this is rocket nazi guy rocket nazi uh, guy we would eventually poach him in Operation Paperclip, which I have mentioned on the show before. We poach yep. him in Paperclip, or do we poach it's him? Paperclip. It is Paperclip. We get him. I believe so. Uh, I had mentioned Paperclip, but I can't remember Bradley in what context I mentioned Operation Paperclip. <laughs> you have the memory of a <laughs> goldfish. It's fine. Oh, Bradley. <laughs> your face i'm so sorry no and i yeah i i thought that was interesting to look at the different you know types of of historical labor camps particularly the ones in like russia um mm -hmm. where they would they would sentence the people for however long they wanted them yeah because the point was not necessarily like uh and the point with a lot of those uh they're they're doing the job of exile but they're doing it within their own territory because russia is big uh they, they want you out of their hair and a lot of the time that is that is what happens in this particular the first thing as i was watching them make these component parts i immediately thought to myself what was the name of that goddamn facility that the v2 missiles were were built in because that was what i knew off the top of my head that was an example of this type of work and here's the thing more people were killed building those missiles than were ever killed by those missiles they were mm -hmm. extremely dangerous to build that's why you want people that you consider disposable making them it's dangerous work and speaking of of people that are considered disposable uh yeah. let's let's transition to our, our oh, final segue. two episodes here what a segue this is a great show this is a really happy it. show i hate it uh let's Thanks. segue into the the final two episodes um mm -hmm. the the uh build up and then the riot on on ferrix uh i'm just gonna broadly ask um what do you have from these episodes like from a history standpoint Nar narrow down because there's a lot that you could do there is a lot i could do i don't know how you're going to narrow down revolution but go for it so those final two episodes are where we get to see on the individual level 
what Saw Guerrero was kind of talking about, the he's listing all these different groups that are all ostensibly on their side and that all disagree with each other. And you see now Ferrix, the people of Ferrix care about each other. The people of Ferrix are a community. And so they they bring it when all when when they are really pushed under the boot hill as it is, they react in a way that is painful to watch, but uh just wow. It in when it comes to revolutions that topple something from the inside, because I I, I do keep hearkening back to Russia partly because uh, this is the fall of an empire that comes from the inside. Uh, politically speaking, the empire looks a lot more like, say, you know, uh, the Nazi Germany. You've got to rise the power of one guy, one faction. He runs it for, for years in a row. And in Star Wars, there are people who remember the before times, before the empire. Now, in real life, Russia, it's an ancient apparatus. People, Nobody remembers before the empire. But it falls from the inside because World War II was an exterior conflict. Nazi Germany had had to be taken out and Russia the the disparate factions within Russia pulled it down from the inside because they couldn't take it anymore and that's what we're seeing in the final episode on a very like small scale this is one community and that happened all across this like one seventh of the globe um primarily in like I, I was talking about Solon earlier uh Georgia that's one of those places and it's all these different factions fighting with each other that don't necessarily agree like sure you've got the you've got the social democrats the leninists and marxists but they're also for brief periods of time working side by side with groups that say want uh a separate ukraine a separate georgia a separate belarus they all agree on one thing and that's the emperor's got to die the emperor's got to go we want to end the system as it is and, and spoilers for history and the romanovs but nicholas ii uh, who is the last czar does die <laughs> He gets die. shot to death in a basement. He gets shot to get death. Um, he gets shot to death. Uh, his children were it. It didn't necessarily end so quickly for them. Um, and when you the Aldani arc, when you see what happens to the wife and child of the guy running the show, that that really made me go like, oh, this is painful to watch. And because this is where it gets. The, it morally gray and things start happening where there's you're gonna hurt people that don't necessarily deserve it but this is how a, a revolution or a rebellion looks like in real life and something that has obviously happened behind the scenes this whole time in this in in at least going based on this it's we're being told this is what's been happening behind the scenes clandestinely the entire time in the lead up to the movies that we all know and love that 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 make us feel good and have a, a nice arc and ending and everything. But in the background, there's there's people reacting to each other and making short-sighted, cruel, or amazing decisions. Uh, people trying to, to help each other and trying to hurt each other. Well, I was going to say that we also see too, you know, in the back two episodes particularly, uh, mm -hmm. we see that Mon is willing to throw her husband and daughter under the bus to continue working with the rebellion to the capacity that she is. Uh, yeah. which, you know, she will eventually get more involved in the rebellion. Uh, but we also, too, see that Luthen is prepared to sacrifice Anto Krieger. He is prepared to basically force Lonnie to remain at the ISB when Lonnie wants to give the whole thing up. And even Saw, when directly confronted and given the chance to either warn Krieger or not, ultimately rationalizes it away and chooses to let 30 people plus Krieger die. For the greater good. For the greater good. So it's definitely like looking at historical revolutions are, are very often, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but very often confederacy 
confederacies, successful ones, or confederacies of groups who maybe are not necessarily all on the same page. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times in the fallout from that, they, they'll end up either screwing each other over or somebody's going to emerge. We see it in Russia when the Bolsheviks end up taking power, uh, where mm-hmm. they sort of emerge as the final, final decider. And we even see this at this early stage of the rebellion, too, in these back couple of episodes. We're seeing the various disparate factions. And eventually the alliance to restore the Republic is going to be the only real faction in the game by the time we hit Rogue One in the original trilogy. So it's, and even like the United States, Mm -hmm. like it was a confederacy of, of the, the 13 colonies colonies. that banded together. Uh, And then uh, unfortunately their, their disparate interests led to another confederacy. It sure did. That one was slightly less successful. It sure did. And not just the, the separate colonies, the separate interests of the people within those colonies, because immediately after the American Revolution, uh, the United States, the brand new uh, United States had to deal with the fact that, oh, now you're the one collecting taxes. There were immediate rebellions after the revolution because all the guys who had just fought in the militias wanted to be paid. And the, and the laws had to be changed over and over and over again over the like a period of like 10 years to decide oh uh how what happens if massachusetts explodes in rebellion what do we do we do something do we do we do something do we care about up there or over <laughs> there what if what if an outpost uh you know on the western borderlands gets invaded does does south carolina have to care and that 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 only really starts to solidify when they face another exterior threat, which is the War of 1812, which uh, people who know British history would not remember that at all because it's just a minor little like skirmish that happened during the Napoleonic Wars. Uh, but suddenly it's, oh, we're we're all part of the same group. Again, we're, we're hanging out with each other again. We're fighting the same enemy again. It takes that kind of repeated working together, working together, working together to, to form a solid identity. But yes, you're correct. The, they all had disparate interests, including the groups in within these, what would become the states because the people who were running the show had they, they didn't want to pay their taxes. They absolutely wanted to collect ta- uh, collect taxes from people later because you got to run this government. And the people at the very bottom, no matter what, no matter who's running the show, they're just like, okay, well, first I was paying taxes to Britain and now I guess I'm paying taxes to this, uh, this, this new system. And everybody who takes place it takes part in that conflict has they, they have their their own individual goals they all have their own thing that drove them to get here to make them want to be in that room and as we see in the show when we see i'm i'm so sorry i have forgotten his name again the the kid uh mimic uh, Oh, a uh, different kid, different kid. Different uh, kid. Kid with the bomb, kid with the bomb. Uh, woman pack. Yeah. Woman pack. We see woman pack toss this bomb at a funeral. I truly do not know if that was, it. I, I assume that's something he decided to do on his own. I truly do not know if it was intended to have been, I don't know how much of this was planned as a group and how much of this erupted on its own due to everybody on that road, like deciding and I went and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and I want to do this and it all explodes. Obviously some of it is premeditated, but quite a bit of it is people individually reaching a breaking point. Well, sometimes you see this happening too. And I'll, I'll sort of lead us toward our conclusion with, with bringing up that there are, there are instances where things are very um, controlled and, and they're done deliberately by a rebelling body that's organized. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's a priest got a bunch of people together 
and we're running around trying to find uh, the king. I can't remember if this was happening during the French Revolution or I think this was the Russian Revolution that a priest got a bunch of people together and walked up peaceful, like peacefully walked up and said, here, we want to petition I, the like monarch about this thing. And the soldiers responded by opening fire. Or you get something like the Boston Massacre, where um, tensions were so high during the Boston Massacre uh, that there were troops stationed, people started throwing things at the troops, and it ended up with five people dead. So you also have instances throughout history where the turning point of revolution has been the people got fed up with something or something happened, somebody pulled a trigger at one point and everything just kind of blew up. The number of times that that happened just within the space of even the 10 years leading up to the Re- Russian Revolution. Well, the Tsar's men fired on a crowd of innocent people again. 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 And that 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 kid the uh Wil- Wilman 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 Pack Wilman Pack Wilman Pack uh there's a specific kid in history uh that he reminds me of uh Herschel I'm gonna butcher this name I don't speak Polish Grichman uh he he was a kid who he was made stateless after he was a, a Jewish Polish kid who was made stateless. Uh, and uh, expelled from Poland, essentially. He ends up in France, and the Nazi uh, decisions in the lead up to World War II are behind the reasoning for why Poland decides to render all Jewish people living that were born there stateless. And so if, oh, you're no longer living in Poland, well, uh, you're you're stateless now. You have no papers. Oh, no, you can't come back to get your papers because absolutely not. Um, oh, you're stuck in France now? Uh, undocumented? Too bad for you. And so this kid, he uh, essentially assassinate von Rath in 1938 in Paris, because this is when the rest of Europe is still playing good with Nazi Germany and still doing the thing where they're like, yeah, this is Germany's just being weird right now, but it's fine. The appeasement strategy. They're still doing that appeasement strategy. And when this, like- yes. And when this kid and why he did what he did hits the press, the rest of the world is like, mm, so what? And very immediately after the Nazis use this this kid's decision as a pretext to launch Crystal Knock. And then that hits the press. And everybody's like, what the fuck? Things keep... That is one of the decisions made by one person. This this kid isn't planning this out with a group or anything. Decision made by one person that lights a fire on the international stage. Fucking explosive. Kind of like throwing a bomb into a, a lump of artillery. Well, Aaron, thank you for spending some time talking about the historical, uh, some of the historical tie-ins. Uh, and thank you for coming on to talk about Andor. Uh, mm-hmm. Before we do the the pluggables, uh, I have a note here that I, I said in the first little bit, I wanted to come back to the musical motifs in the funeral march. Uh, so now I'm going to make you both sad. Hey. Are you ready to be sad? I mean. <laughs> Marva's funeral march sounds a lot like the opening theme of Andor. Andor, and we hear some of the music, the musical cues throughout the show Andor, and we also know that Cassie and Andor dies at the end of Rogue One. Yeah, here's the thing: as this the entire sh- as show, the show started, like that final episode started, I was like, "Oh, sounds like band." Yeah, so uh, I think musically, this is all supposed to be like Cassie and Andor's funeral march. Oh, fuck you, Charles. <laughs> This entire show is just one big eulogy to Cassian Andor, who we already know is dead. All right, where's the end call button? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
leave. That's that's a perfect reaction to anything I say. Well, Aaron, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking to us about all of that lovely historical overview. I know that we barely even scratched the surface. That's that's the thing. Uh, I definitely got some things wrong and skipped over some things. And you know what? Uh, this is why I didn't become a history teacher. Like, obviously, I'm I'm not trying to do this. But uh, and obviously, uh, it's too. You know what? If 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 you think well, you missed some things. Go read about them. There's podcasts about them. They're great. They're they're mm-hmm. great. It's just so cool to see this happen. You know, on a Star Wars. Terrifying. Yeah, you should cool. you should never a hundred percent trust every podcaster you ever Absolutely listen to. Not. To be 100% right about everything. We we definitely don't have a segment called The Thing Charles Fuck. Always question the man. Always or, question the man. Or the woman. In well, thank case. you for at least coming on and giving us an overview uh, to where people know some of the historical stuff that went in and also just talking to us about the show in general. Uh, do you always have happy any... to do, Always happy to come in and just like rant about, oh God, history is full of terrible things, isn't it? Isn't it great? It's We didn't even get to touch on Tsar Alexander. Ooh, oh yeah. That's a thing for people to go Google. Um taken out at the knees uh well Uh, Aaron, don't google that (laughs) do you have any pluggables that you want to uh to plug for us uh you know after this you know uh you might want to find me on the internet don't find me i have a feeling that anyone who wants to find me after this is gonna it's not gonna go well (laughs) but if you want to find me i have a twitter uh i i i don't use it often these days i uh you know for my own sanity but also um i hear it's a burning ship that's that's um it is a burning sinking? ship, and uh, which sounds fascinating. And we will we will link that Twitter in our show notes if people want to That's give fine. Aaron a follow. Uh, well, Aaron, thank you so much again for joining us. Thank you, uh, Bradley. Me. Bradley, we are doing uh, next week. We are doing three weeks of what are we doing after this? We're doing something we're, light and easy, right? Yes, uh, thankfully, honestly, oh. we're finally gonna do. We're gonna draw out a little bit of. Tales of the Jedi. We're going to do some small episodes, giving them their own breathing room, but also because they're already short enough. And no uh, TikToks for those. If if right. you if you follow us because of the TikToks, no TikToks for those. I'm I'm taking December. Those three weeks I'm taking off of doing those uh, to give myself go. a break because those TikToks are actually pretty labor intensive. You, you you deserve a Christmas off. I guess I'll give you that for it once. So hard. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mister Scrooge, for giving me Christmas <laughs> off. <laughs> I'm so grateful to work under the capitalist system that permits me to have some time to spend with my family. No, but now we'll squeeze in a living wage. You're gonna get um, Christmas goose and everything. No, but we're gonna we're gonna squeeze in Tales of the Jedi in in December, leading up to uh, our Bad Batch coverage in the new year. So we'll kind of squeeze it all in, and we'll just have to tide you over until Bad Batch comes out. Which Bad Batch? I'm looking at you. We have you on our calendar. Do not right. change your fucking don't, release date. Don't fail me now. Do not fail me now. You have a month to go. Do not fuck with me, Bad Batch. I am so tired of these fucking release date changes. I'm gonna... This is how revolution starts. They never set a date. They set a date. Well, Aaron, thank you once again for coming. And Bradley, go ahead and run the sessions. Thank you for listening to Gold Squadron Gaze. Did Charles fuck something up? Send us a message at goldsquadrongaze at gmail.com. 
Follow us on Twitter at Gold Squad Gaze. Follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Gold Squadron Gaze. Subscribe to us on YouTube at Gold Squadron Gaze, where we post the podcast as well as exclusive content. Please join us next week and every week for more of Gold Squadron Gaze. Okay, let me figure out how to, you can cut my, 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 uh, he, he here. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, shout out to Bradley for just being so good at making whatever the heck it is that comes out of my mouth sound like it makes sense. I, he does I, it I need that. I need week, that. So. I need that kind of editing in real time, like every day of my life. <laughs> Seriously.